Matthew chapter number four. I'm glad also to have Beth's mom here, Mrs. Hart, and I'm glad for this joyous occasion. Matthew chapter number four. We're continuing to look at our journey, just looking at the different aspects of Jesus and wanting to be an encouragement. And um, Jesus ought to be an encouragement to us. The more we know him, the more we study him, the more we ought to love him. And uh, tonight I want us to look at it as well. We're going to read our text here in just a moment. You've heard the phrase game changer. It's a relatively new phrase. And in the, uh, the, the Webster's Dictionary, it's, a, it's the newer edition, it says game changer is a newly introduced element or factor that changes an existing situation or activity in a significant way. Game changer. Refers to somebody in a sports event, somebody perhaps in a job or business adventure. And in the Bible, we find some game-changing, life-changing locations. And one of those would be what has become for maybe some in here, but myself, one of the favorite places now on earth. And that's the majestic Sea of Galilee. It was from this location we could talk about tonight the healing of Peter's mother-in-law who lived in Capernaum, a large community located on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee. Or we could head a little west along the shoreline where Jesus delivered his sermon on the mount, and we were able to spend some time there. Or we could walk a little further down the shore to the town of Magdala and talk about how Jesus radically changed the life of a woman there by forgiving her of her sin. Or we could talk about how Jesus came walking on that water there of the Sea of Galilee, and Peter walked on it as well, just not as long as Jesus did. We could talk about how Jesus calmed the storm and directed the fishermen to cast their nets on the other side for a catch on that same sea. We could also talk about the resurrected Jesus that restored Peter back to service and unto himself on the very same shores of the Sea of Galilee. I'm trying to tell you there's a lot of things that happen throughout the life of Jesus on and around that lake. But tonight I want us to see in Matthew chapter 4, I want us to read that it's from this freshwater lake, one of the lowest bodies of water on earth, that Jesus issued one of the highest callings, the calling to four men, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Jesus said to these four men, follow me and their lives forever changed. Matthew chapter 4 verses 18 through 22. We're going to see in just a moment as we read this. That Jesus is walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is doing what he does best. Changing lives. I want you to see with me that as Jesus encountered these well, this wasn't the first time he encountered them or they encountered him. In fact, in John chapter number 1, we find the account of John the Baptist. 
And John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him in John 1 and verse 29. And he cried, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And he said, This is the one I've been telling you about. Now notice in verse number 18. The Bible says, And Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Now, as I mentioned in John chapter 1, we're going to find there that they also had an encounter with Jesus. In John 1 and verse 40, the Bible tells us of Andrew, and it was one of the two that saw Jesus. Well, if Andrew was one of the two, who was the second one that John is referring to in chapter number one? And that's himself. That's John. John, the brother of James. And throughout John's gospel, you find John taking the approach that it seemed like he didn't want any attention drawn upon himself. He would refer to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved, the other disciple and and, and rather than using his own name, he says, one of the two which heard John speak followed him. And one was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. That's John 1 and verse 40. So Andrew had met the Messiah. And having met him, the first thing he did was go and tell his brother, Simon. Now, just hold your place here. I'm talking out of John 1. We're going to come back to Matthew 4. Let's turn over to John 1. I want you to see this. Because it, it gives us a little bit of an understanding of what's happening in, in their lives. John chapter 1. Verse 40. One of the two which heard John speak, John the Baptist, and, follow, and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Andrew, verse 41, first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, we found, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. So Andrew, when he met the Messiah, he left, uh, uh, left him and, and, and went to go tell Peter. And I love verse 42. Notice verse 42. And he brought him to Jesus. I'm not sure anyone else on earth could have brought Peter to Jesus. Peter was short-fused, hot-tempered, always sticking his foot in his mouth. Simon Peter probably would not have listened to just anybody, but he listened to his brother Andrew because he loved his brother and he knew his brother loved him. Note that Andrew didn't argue his brother to Jesus. He loved his brother to Jesus. Put it down. Our obedience to follow Jesus will always encourage others to follow Jesus. Never forget that our response to the call of Jesus can ultimately change the eternal destiny 
of others. Did you know there are some people in our community and beyond meant for you to reach them with the gospel? Who's your one? Who is your one? Look to the person beside you and ask, who's your one? Wake up the person beside you. Ask them, who's your one? Shamir, you got to look on both sides of you there. You have one, at least one. You have one. I have one. One who? One that needs our witness. One that needs our concern. One that needs our to love their soul to Jesus. They need our story. They're waiting to hear from us. They'll listen to us because they know we love them if they'll know that we love them. Now, they may not all decide to follow Jesus, but that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is for declaring Jesus to them, sowing the gospel seed. Their responsibility is to decide what they're going to do with Jesus. Here's a good definition, I think, of being a successful witness. It's taking the initiative to declare Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Ghost and leaving the results to God. Knowing that we're to leave the results to God really takes the pressure off. That's what Andrew did. He took the initiative to declare Jesus Christ to his brother Peter and he left the results to God. And from the life of these four men, Peter... Andrew, James, and John, I want you to discover some timeless truths tonight. And we're talking tonight about this fact. Jesus is in the business of changing lives. He is still in the business of changing lives. Jesus is in the business of changing lives. Would you say that with me? Jesus is in the business of changing lives. Preaching tonight on this thought, Jesus is in the business of changing lives. Jesus, a wonderful life changer. He's a wonderful life changer. We saw him a few weeks ago as a wonderful shepherd. We saw him as a wonderful teacher. Tonight, I want us to see him as a wonderful life changer. And it's my hope and my prayer that you'll be one of those lives that will continue, either start and continue or start tonight or continue tonight to let Jesus change your life. Back over to Matthew chapter number four. Notice in verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee. Now, number one, I want you to note this about Jesus in this business of changing lives. Number one, Jesus is looking to change lives. Amen. He is looking to change your life. You say, well, he has. He's not done. But he's always looking to change lives. Jesus is the divine initiator. He takes the first step toward us. It's never man that takes the first step to God. 
It was God, the first evangelist in the Garden of Eden that came down looking for man. It is Jesus. Jesus is not out for a stroll that day in Matthew 4.18. No, he's out on a search. Do you know what he was searching for? The same thing he's searching for tonight. He was searching. He's scanning the congregation. He's looking for those to show himself strong for. 2 Chronicles 16 and verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. You know God's radar system is still on today. He's still scanning this building like a radar scans an area. He's looking for those among us who are wholeheartedly devoted to him, who are all in, who, are, who will let Jesus show himself strong for. In other words, he's looking for those, his eyes are searching for those whose hearts will be all in, wholehearted, uh, completely devoted. Uh, like Beth here tonight. Beth had some other things going on tonight. She's got a baby that'll probably come tonight after the invitation is concluded, but it'll probably come tonight. But the Lord's looking for somebody whose eyes are on Him so that He can support, so that He can work in, so He can work through. And that's what 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9 is all about. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward Him. He's looking for those who need him, who want him, so that he can show forth his power in them and do great things for them and help in their life. Do you need him? Amen. Well, there's no one here who does it, but I'm not even asking, is it theologically understood that you need him. But I'm asking in the depths of your soul, do you know you need him? Because he's looking for those who are convinced of what he's convinced of. His eyes are scanning this congregation tonight in every service. He scans your heart on the way home. He scans it in your room when you choose your phone over him. He chooses, you choose something over him and he's looking for those who wholeheartedly are devoted to him to give them peace to give them wisdom to give them victory to give them direction to give them deliverance over addictions solutions to their problems that they otherwise would not find out without Jesus in their life I don't know about you but I need his eyes to fall upon me I need his eyes to fall upon my family and my service. His favor falls upon those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. I want you to know, get it into our soul that Jesus was not out on a casual stroll along the Sea of Galilee. He was on an intentional search party. He was looking for them. And don't miss this. He initiated it. He always initiates the relationship with us. We love him only because he first loved us. See, grace, grace is God reaching out to us. Faith 
is us reaching out to God. And where grace and faith meet, you're always going to discover God at work. Verse 18, Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother. What were they doing? They were casting a net into the sea for they were fishers. Here's something else to get down. Jesus went to where they were so that they could be where he was. Jesus always will go to where we are so that we can go to where he is. You have to go where the fish are in order to catch fish. It wasn't by chance that Jesus' first partners in ministry were fishermen. Now, some of the same qualities that make up a good fisherman can also make up a good soul winner. Patience. Take some patience when you're praying over a soul, reaching out to a soul, planting a seed. Perseverance. You don't cast one time and, and then call it quits. I mean, I do, but that's not good fishing. That's just not how you do it. My wife is the one who taught me how to trout fish up in the mountains of North Georgia. She doesn't like going fishing with me. I, I, I love going fishing with my wife. I love it. I don't know why. It's really not very, um, very sweet of her to not want to go fishing with me. But, but you know, she's got a, a, a fair argument. She doesn't like to go fishing with me because she never gets to fish. <laughs> no, uh, she, she uh, puts her, her um, cast her rod out there and I cast mine. And mine always gets hung up on something. Always gets hung up on something other than a trout. And so I have a special whistle for her and she gives me hers while she takes mine and she undoes it and fixes it and, and resets it. And, and when she's got it, then she'll give it back to me and take hers back until I get it hung up again. And we play that cycle until I catch my limit, until we're done and we go home. So it does take perseverance. But if it's just me by myself, it gets hung one time, I'm out of there. I'm heading to Starbucks. So patience, <laughs> perseverance, but then you have to have an instinct. You've got to just know. I mean, you, you, you fishermen sometimes just have a good instinct going to the right place. For the soul winner, you've got to have spiritual discernment. You've got to know that this may be a trap. This is a distraction. Oh, this guy is, is talking up a storm. This person is just, boy, they're, they're really so friendly. But sometimes there will be a distraction. You've got to have spiritual discernment to know when to take the next step, when to shut it down, and when to go forward. Also, if you're going to get into commercial fishing, it requires some courage. And I want to say it does require courage. You're going to be a, a soul winner. Now learn this tonight. God can take whatever occupation you're in and use it to reach people for Jesus. How you and I pay our bills does not determine whether or not we can be soul winners. What is it that determines whether or not we can be a soul winner? Whether or not you're following Jesus. God can take any job you're in and use you to reach people for Jesus. If he can use a tent maker, Paul, to reach people for Jesus, he can use you. If he can use a fisherman to reach people for Jesus, he can use you. If he can use a dealer in purple, Lydia, 
to reach others for Jesus. He can certainly use you. God has put you where he's put you for more than simply making a living, but for making disciples of Jesus. The key is you need to see people like Jesus sees people. You need to see people that are lost in their need of a Savior. People that are hurting in need of a healer. See them as sheep without a shepherd. Jesus, what did he see? He saw two brothers. And he speaks of more than, Matthew does, speaks more than just a quick glance when he says, verse 18, Jesus saw two brethren. The word saw there has the idea, not of a quick glance just out of this peripheral, but it has the idea of a gaze. Jesus was studying them. It captivated his heart. It means he perceived something. He was aware of something. He was realizing something in the human sense, as we would say. When Jesus saw Andrew and Simon, do you know what he became aware of? The same thing he's aware of when he first saw you and heard me and he heard us call out to him. He saw what you and I and Andrew and Peter could become. Jesus doesn't just see us where we are. He sees us as what we can become. He sees more than our person. He sees our potential. He saw more than a fisherman that day. He saw what they could become. He saw Peter becoming a rock and a great preacher of the gospel. He saw Andrew becoming a great soul winner. He saw James becoming the first martyr of the 12. He saw John becoming the apostle of love. Learn this tonight about Jesus. He's still in the business of changing lives. He'll take you where you are and make you into what you can become. When he first saw Zacchaeus, that one-time cheat, thief, covetous publican of Jericho, Jesus saw what he could become, giving half of his goods to the poor. When he first saw Manasseh, king of Judah, filling Jerusalem with idols and murdering children in honor of false gods, he saw what Manasseh could become, the purifier of the very temple and cutting down of false idols and gods and living for God in a godly way. When he first saw Saul of Tarsus, a zealot killing his own followers, Jesus saw how he could become one of his followers, a church planner, a soul winner, a writer of much of the New Testament. See, Jesus made these and more into new people because he's in the business of changing lives. He saw people love things that they once hated and hate the things that they once loved. They had new habits once Jesus came across their path and changed their life. They had new habits, new friends, new ways, new desires, new opinions, new sorrows, new joys, new hopes. And some of you have experienced the same thing. They experienced life change. Now, I want you to see not only does Jesus initiate life change, but Jesus is looking, number two, to change your life. 
He's not only in this matter of initiating it, but he's inviting it. He's inviting you to a life change. You said, I'm already saved. He's inviting you to a life change. Verse number 19, And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus is who makes life change possible. He implements it. He initiates it. And what he initiates, he implements. Jesus didn't say, follow my teachings. There are smatterings all over this state and this southeast of the United States that have religious buildings and organizations where people, they are proud of the fact that they are a follower of Christ's teachings. But Jesus didn't say, follow my teachings. I'm afraid many people today are calling themselves Christians simply because they strive to live by the Christian code, the teachings of Jesus. Did you know you can live by the teachings and principles of Jesus without having a relationship with Jesus and still die and go to hell because you lived by the teaching of Jesus, but you were never saved by the relationship of Jesus? You're not saved by principles. You're saved by a person. His name is Jesus. Jesus didn't say, follow my teachings. He said, follow me. I'll tell you something else Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, follow my new religion. Religion, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, it'll smother you. Religion will work you to death. Whereas Jesus will set you free. Jesus told us in John 8 and verse 32, if you know the truth, experience the truth, the truth will liberate you. Somebody says, well, well, what truth is it that sets me free? It's the truth that Jesus talked about in John 14, 6, when he said that he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You can have sincerity in all these other religions and, and be kind and gentle to the other religions. And someone says, I don't think we should be so narrow-minded. Jesus was narrow-minded. He said, there's no way you're getting to the Father but by Jesus Christ. He didn't say Jesus and, Jesus plus, Jesus minus. It's Jesus and only Jesus. You put this down. Religion does not give life it takes life. If you want to live in bondage, religion will be for you. Religion will give you a false security. Whereas a relationship with Jesus will give you real security. I'll take my relationship with Jesus over your religious bondage any day of the week. No, Jesus didn't say follow my principles or teachings. Jesus didn't say follow my new religion. He said, follow me. Come after me. He's the implementer of the life that he initiates. Jesus, what a life changer he is. He is looking to change your life. He's inviting you to a life of change. Let me, let me mention this before we move to the third point. There's only one conclusion to draw when we hear the invitation, follow me. And that is Jesus is worthy of far more than mere church attendance Amen. and casual association. 
We have such a dangerous tendency to reduce Jesus to some poor, puny Savior who's just begging for you and me to take him into our lives as if he's some stray God. As if Jesus needs to be accepted by us. No, he doesn't. Jesus doesn't need our acceptance. He is infinitely worthy of all glory in the whole universe. And he doesn't need us at all. We need him. We dare not patronize Jesus for he's worthy of total abandonment and supreme adoration. We're talking about the Savior, King of the universe, and righteous judge of all the nations, God in the flesh, who said, follow me. That thought alone is mind-boggling. There's no potential, casual response to Jesus. Where do you get casual response to the Lord? It's either turn and run from him or it is bow and worship him. Luke's gospel records that as soon as Peter caught a glimpse of Jesus and his power and his authority in Luke 5 verses 1 through 11, Peter fell on his face and then rose and followed Jesus. I'm not for somebody who just said a prayer and just got dunked and and just got their name on the roll because others do that and, and have gone about with an unchanged life. I don't see it in the Bible. I don't see it in the Bible. So why should we look for it within your life? There's only two options. You will turn from him, run from him, or you will bow before him and you'll worship him. Many people, many people claim to have made a decision. They prayed a prayer. They signed a card. They walked an aisle. They accepted Jesus into their hearts. But their lives don't look any different. These people say they're Christians, but the reality is you, my friend, have never met Jesus because when you do, you'll meet the greatest and onlyest life changer. Number three. See, everything is different once you meet this king. That's why we know that people profess to be Christians but whose lives look just like the rest of the world, they're lying. That's the way Jesus described him. You're a liar? He said, well, that's not kind. That may get us thrown in jail someday, but that's like going to the doctor and you're you're, you're racked with cancer. And he just says, "I, I think you're a good person. Just do the best you can. Just drink a half a bottle of olive oil. It won't change the cancer, would it, Brother Baker? But it'll help other things. No, we want the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Why would Jesus be so blunt? Because he's a life changer, number three tonight. Here's what I love, verse number 19. And he saith unto them, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Here's the reality. Number three, Jesus accompanies every life that he changes. You know, Jesus did not simply command his disciples to become fishers of people, but he promised he would make them become fishers of people. He didn't say, you do this, it's a good idea for you to do. No, he says, 
I will do it. Have you ever seen on social media any of these too good to be true or even these infomercials, too good to be true jobs? Work from home, part-time, less than part-time. You make 10000 a month, easy, no work, no sweat, no training, no brains, no nothing. And what's going to happen is this. They're going to tell you what you have to do. And you're going to conclude, when they said it was free, it really wasn't free. When they said it wasn't a lot to it, there's a really a lot to it. And people look at religion and think the same thing. Yeah, do all this stuff. But Jesus isn't calling us to religion. He's calling us to a relationship with Him. And when you and I meet Jesus, He says, I'm going to get into your life. And He says, I'm not only going to tell you what you should do and what your potential could be, but He says, I'm going to make it happen. How would following Jesus cause them to be fishers of men? Think about it. Don't think too long because i got to hurry up. But how would following Jesus make them fishers of men? Jesus was. The same way he would make you and I whatever it is he calls us to be. The same way following Jesus causes us to become fishers for people. You become like those that you spend time with. That's why I don't like spending time too long with negative people. Because I'll, I'll get negative. And I don't like being negative. Because I get negative about being negative. But you get around positive people who see God as bigger. I mean, I begin to think God's bigger. I begin to to get excited about what God can do. You get around a person who's hungry for souls. You begin to think about souls a little bit more. You get around a person who gripes. Guess what will happen? You'll gripe. I get around somebody that gripes. I'll hit them. I know the danger. I know how it'll stop revival. But, but you'll become what you're around. More is caught than taught, and spending time with Jesus, it causes you to be like Jesus. And Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's why we talk about spending time with Him. That's why we're trying to help and getting victory in this matter of spending time with Him. Why? The more time you spend with Jesus, the more like Jesus you become. Listen, Jesus didn't come just to redeem you. He came to rub off on you. He's the divine influencer of change. The more time you spend with him, the more you're going to know him. The more you know him, the more you'll love him. In approaching these four men, Jesus asked them to abandon what they knew, fishing, in order to attempt what they didn't know. And as a result, they experienced total abandonment and surrender to Jesus. See, Jesus, as the initiator, he took the first step toward us. He took the first step toward them. And, 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 and he's the one who initiated. 
the impossible change of life from the inside out. He's not just the initiator, he's the implementator and he makes life change possible as we surrender our all to him. But he's also the divine influencer. Jesus is the power and he's the authority behind that life change. He says, follow me, I'll make you. I will cause you, I will bring it about. What I have started, Paul says in Philippians, man, I, I, I'll, I'll complete it. That good work that I've started in your life, I didn't start it just to stop it. I started it to bring you through to completion. It's not follow me because of something in it's good for you. No, but follow me because of Jesus is saying of what I will bring to you, what I will do in your life. From the beginning of Jesus' ministry, his plan was to use disciples to win disciples. He could command his disciples to do other things, but his first call, Jesus' first call, Mark chapter number three, tells us the same thing. When Jesus called his 12, the first thing he called them to, the first thing he's been calling us to for two thousand years was not to do something, not to be something, but to be with him. That's what he's called you to. And so many people's lives are frustrated and, and struggling and because they look at being with Jesus like reading the instruction manual. I, I, I'm a man. I don't read the instruction manual. And we treat Jesus the same way. Right, just tell me what I can do. I, I'd rather get after. I'm a man of action. Sure, the devil would say, you have right at it. You're a good man of action. Jesus said, follow me. Follow me and I will cause you to fish for people and you'll never want to do anything else as long as you follow me. See, his plan was that the called ones would become the callers. And their response is in verse number 20. What is it? And they, what's the word? Straightway, this is immediately. No hesitation. They left their nets and they followed him. Revival after revival, message after message, challenge after challenge, workshop after workshop, college credit after college credit, Sunday school course after Sunday school course, discipleship after discipleship, counseling session after counseling session, and people are still, I, I, I'm thinking about it. I'm praying about it. I'm just trying to figure out what it means. It means follow him. Follow him. What does that look like? Well, what did it look like for them? They left their nets and they left their father. That's a good place to start. Hey, get after it. Get after, Oh, I got to go do something. No, get after being in the presence of Jesus. Get into his presence. Quit using your so sleepy, drowsy Peter excuse. Get into his presence. Stay there. I really want God to use me. Well, why don't you try fasting and praying for, oh, well, let's just try a good two weeks. Just try it. I don't want him that bad. He knows. And you'll stay with your nets and you'll stay with your father. But you're going to miss your heavenly father 
who wants to step into your life and show you what real, real, real living is all about. Same call, verse number 20, look at it. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Going on from thence, he saw two other brothers in verse 21, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in the ship with Zebedee their father. And, and what did Jesus do? He called them into verse 21. Verse 22, same response. And they immediately left the ship and their father and they followed him. No putting it off, no thinking about it. See again, one of the things I love about my Bible is I don't have to pray about a lot of stuff when God says it. It settles it. Just do it. Trust and obey. Amen. Can I tell you something that will impact your life tonight? When Jesus speaks, be quick to respond. Amen. Be quick to respond. You know, one of the decisions I made in, in coming here, I had many, many preachers that would say, Brother Ingram, I think... You really need to reconsider leaving evangelism, going to the pastor. You're going to leave a huge hole and all these things. And I wasn't, it wasn't anything at all that was building me up. I just was, there were men that I could trust who was talking, speaking wisdom into my life. And, but I, I said, I, I recognize things will change, but there's something I can't get away from. I, I just think God's doing this and it really makes no sense. It doesn't make sense. A lot of things I can see God doing, I can see the sense that he's making out of it. But this one I couldn't. All I could get was there was a sense of peace and direction and I came to this thought. All I have to do is trust him. And obey and leave the consequences with him. Trust him and obey and leave the consequences with him. I figured if he's the one who's doing the calling and he's the one who's doing the life changing, he can handle my consequences. I wonder how their father responded when. James and John walked away from the family business to follow Jesus and join Jesus' family business. There he stood in the family boat, torn nets in his hand, in need of repairing, watching his sons walk away with Jesus. I can imagine him saying, have you boys lost your minds? Where do you think you're going? Who's going to help me mend these nets? Who's going to take over our family business how are you going to get paid? I don't know why that always comes up when it comes to ministry. And can you imagine the conversation he had that evening with his wife, their mother? Honey, you're not going to believe what happened at work today. As he tried his best to explain that their sons aren't coming back, I can hear her say, Zeb, don't panic. Don't worry. Those boys will be fine. Be not dismayed, whate'er be tied, the Lord will take care of them. The best place in the world for our boys is the will of God. Those four put their yes on the table and they began experiencing life change immediately. Immediately their focus changed. Immediately their faith changed. Immediately their friends changed. Immediately their future changed. Jesus, what a life changer. And before we leave tonight, let me give you three Bible principles to take from these verses. Real quick. Lives change when Jesus shows up. 
Lives will always change when Jesus shows up. That's why if you haven't picked up on one of my great prayers, the most prolific prayers, the most uh, repeated prayers, the most prayed prayer that I have is, God, would you show up? We need you to show up. Manifest your presence. Because that's where lives change. Number two, Jesus is looking for people to bless. Jesus is looking for people to show himself strong for. Lives change with Jesus when Jesus shows up. Number two, Jesus is looking for people to bless. Number three, a call to follow Jesus is a call to serve. A call to follow Jesus is a call to serve. If we're not serving, we're not following. I'm so thankful that God, as I mentioned earlier, is still in the business of using nobodies from nowhere with nothing. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, we should repent of what we have been, but rejoice in what we may be. Our Lord is still in the business of changing lives. Let's stand together, please.